Hey, I'm Matthew Ma, host of the Truth About Real Estate podcast, and today we are talking with Joe DeSanto of Play Louder. By age 30, Joe had wiped out $70,000 in student loans, bought his first house, and started a post-production company in Los Angeles, which produced two critically acclaimed documentaries and an award, Emmy Award-winning HBO series. At Play Louder, he shares a lifetime of financial, physical know-how to help individuals and business owners navigate their finances, increase their net worth, and plan better for their future. Welcome to the show, Joe. Excited to have you here. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Cool. I wanted to learn more about you and like, how did you get started in the real estate in the first place? You know, you came from a post-production company that you built over time, but what made you decide to really jump into real estate? Well, I just, um, there was, I don't know, when I got out of college, there were like two things I wanted to do that, you know, were on top of mind, which was to buy my house, buy a house, uh, and, and start a business. Um, and it took a while, you know, I didn't get that. I think I bought my first house at 28 and then the business has started at 30. Um, but for whatever reason that, you know, those two things seem like a good idea to me. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I guess also my family like owned a plumbing and heating company. So while it was a different kind of business, you know, I come from a family where we owned a business. So owning a business kind of, I think that helps to make you just feel like, well, one, owning a business might be a good idea. And two, like it's, it's doable, you know, like, um, but the house thing just, I, I just, I always liked houses. I liked fixing things up. Like I used to watch HGTV back, like when it first started, like when it was like Bob Vila and it's like, like kind of more construction shows. And I had this plan to go to New York after college and like get a loft and like renovate it, you know? And I did that actually with, uh, with, friend of mine who later became one of my business partners and uh i just kind of wanted a house of my own to do to do that kind of stuff for and i just kind of figured it probably made sense too financially so eventually i bought my first house and i quickly could see all the benefits of it um particularly being able to like you know tap it for equity um just also the fact that you know from a personal point of view, owning a house that you couldn't get kicked out of uh, was a good thing. My rent wasn't going to be going up, all those sorts of things. And when it came time to uh, start the business, I was able to like borrow some money out of the house to start the business. Um, so like that owning my own house, this like really was a very beneficial thing, you know, and I just, it got, I think it got me both comfortable with real estate and liking real estate. And you know, as much as I love investing and I was always interested in stocks and things like that, and I still am, like, there's something about stocks that, like, you know, it's it's not mysterious and that I, I get how it works, but it's like, I don't know what's going on at, like, XYZ company. I don't know if, you know, so-and-so's, like, sleeping with their assistant and it's going to blow something up in the stock. You know, there's just, or, or obviously something even more significant, like at Enron, for example, you just you just don't know anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know that maybe that's kind of irrational um, no. fear, but like real estate to me, it's like, I get it. You know, it's, it's simple, basically. I mean, you know, it's a few major systems, plumbing, HVAC, you know, electrical roof, whatever, like not whatever can go wrong. I'm pretty familiar with it, you know? So um, it just gave me a little bit of more, I think more sense of safety in terms of investment. So I just, uh, decided, you know, well, w when I, as soon as I can, I think I, instead of investing in stocks, say, I think I'll invest in real estate. 
instead. So, you know, I bought my first rental in Austin uh, a few years after I bought my house. And then, you know, slowly was just kind of adding single family rentals. Cause to me, that seemed like a good idea. Again, you know, I'm, I'm, I always say to people when I go on shows, like in a large way, I'm, I'm, I'm almost like the customer of many people that go on shows trying to pitch things or pitch investments to people. Like I was just out there trying to figure it out for myself, but I have a genuine interest in these things. So I go the extra mile and really dig in and do these things. And then I share now, now uh, as a consultant or coach, I kind of share my experience and knowledge with others who are trying to do the same thing. But um, yeah, so I started doing a single family rentals and then our business, we got our business going and I luckily it started, it started off pretty well. And, and within the first couple of years, we needed more space. So we were like looking at, uh, went out and started looking at commercial space uh, or a, a larger commercial space. And most of them were like, you know, raw space. And I'm saying to like the realtor person that I'm with, I'm like, I'm like, there's nothing here. <laughs> like, you know, if anyone knows about commercial real estate, Mostly you, you rent raw space and you fix it up, you know? And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, so does the owner of the building going to like pay for some of this stuff or, and they're like, no, they, dude, you know, you got to, you build it out, whatever you want to do. You got, you, you do it. I'm like, <laughs> well, if I'm going to do that, like I should just own the building. <laughs> I mean, why would I, why would I make their space all super deluxe, you know? And, in post-production, part of what it, you know, is and was, at least COVID may have changed it a little, is, you know, it's partly a hospitality business. We would enter, you know, have clients in all the time to sit and do the work, you know, together with our editors and artists and whatever. And we would dote on them. We had, we had a chef, you know, we had a cafe in our facility, you know, we had, a, we had beer, we had a keg, like, you know, we had, a, you could get specialty coffees, all sorts of things. So we would make a really nice space. And in a way your space was almost a reflection of your quality as a company. You know, like if you were a big legit company, you would have a really nice space. You know, if your space sucked, well, <laughs> it would be like, should we work with these guys? You know? Yeah, um, and uh, so I was like, well, you know, it worked for me. Oh, I, I, I was to say like, uh, like, I, I don't really con like I consider my home an investment just like any other piece of real estate. Uh, I know some people don't think it is the case, but I really look at myself as a permanent renter. I just choose to own the real estate that I live in, you know, just like, you know, I choose to own the real estate other people live in. So I'm like, you know, that worked out well for me. Why don't we own the, the space that our business is going to be in? So we, we set off to find a space and, uh, of course, we wanted to make money with it and add value and all that. So we got a, a raw kind of industrial space that we did a full conversion to like, you know, creative office space, uh, change of use and everything. So doing that kind of thing in Los Angeles, you know, on a standalone like 9,000 square foot building is quite an undertaking as it turned out. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't really realize uh, how much of an undertaking it would be and, and how in some ways, you know, financially risky it would be. Uh, I guess you could say, I guess it was financially risky just because I didn't really know what I was doing. Obviously, if you know what you're doing, you know, there's lots of money to be made. Um, so that was my foray into the commercial stuff. And uh, we got that renovation done. It, it was kind of a bear, but we got it done and it worked out really well. 
about eight years later, we sold it for a really nice profit. We took half of our winnings, kind of me and my partners, and then put the other half in another building um, uh, that was larger and actually had an awesome parking lot, which in Los Angeles, you know, that's like gold, basically. Commercial real estate deals literally live and die by parking in Los Angeles. (laughs) I assume it's probably the same in San Francisco as well. Oh, yeah. If you can get that, that'd be great. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to get parking and and you need it in order to do things uh, like in terms of like a change of use or whatever. So, um, so that was kind of, you know, adding on to my uh, just real estate experience. And, you know, over the years, essentially with my homes, my, and my rentals, or, you know, I had one duplex and the commercial properties, I, I think I transacted I, on about 16 properties total. Uh, so, you know, I was basically, I would, I wouldn't say I'm a professional by any stretch, but I'm like, you know, I'm a prosumer <laughs> of, of real estate. And, it's been my primary vehicle of investment, essentially, you know, the whole time, really, I was kind of working and saving. And it, it is what allowed me to ultimately like, make a change. We were talking before the show. Um, I now live in Florida, but I lived in Los Angeles for about 20 years and owned post-production company and production company and stuff. And uh, it was great. I, like, loved it. And, uh, but you know, like most businesses, it's, it's intensive, long hours, you really have to live it, you know, and prior to having a child, like that was no problem. I, I was happy to work all the time, you know, like my work was my life, but I loved it. And all of our, my employees were like friends and we all had a good time. But then I had a kid, uh, at the age of 40 and, um, I was like, wow, all of a sudden I was like, geez, you really got to put a lot of time into these children. (laughs) I mean, like they're time consuming. You literally cannot take your eyes off these things, apparently. You know, (laughs) like it's it's 24-7 surveillance, even when they're sleeping. Uh, And it's, you know, it's hard to, you want to do a good job and be there. But when you own a business that's incredibly demanding, uh, you know, just right away, it was just like really hard for me. and I, you know, I, it's not hard for everybody, I guess, because plenty of people do it, but it was, it was enough of a challenge for me where in my wife, where we, where we wanted to spend more time with the kid, we wanted to have more family time. Um, but it just like keeping up with the demands of the business, it didn't really seem in, for me to drive with that so much. So we concocted this idea of just kind of blowing up our lives. Uh, my partners very graciously cashed me out of the business um, and we retreated to cheaper ground. Basically, we were like, well, if we are serious about this and we want to work less, we need to basically lower our overhead. And But luckily, through the real estate investing and owning a business, entrepreneurship, as I like to say, um, and diligent savings in, or financial prudency, um, we had amassed a pretty good amount of money and I felt like we could comfortably just change our lives um, and kind of reinvent ourselves, I guess, if we move to a less expensive place to live and uh, we could probably work part time and and have more family time. So we, we ventured to do that, which is kind of insane because I think a lot of people think about doing that. Yeah. And don't because it's really hard to do, actually, as it turns out. <laughs> like it was it was pretty crazy. Um but, you know, the real estate and, and all the extra money I made with real estate or me and my wife made, I should say we made, uh, along with our savings, allowed us to do that. And, and now I kind of say I'm in like a semi-retired state in that uh, pretty much I, through 
some real estate investments that produce cash flow and part-time work, which I do now uh, as a consultant and a coach through my website, playlouder.com. Um, you know, we, we cover our expenses and even actually save some money, believe it or not. Um, but so I can work part-time, but I'm also not like, I'm not concerned with saving more money so much anymore. Like if I can, great, you know, I will, who wouldn't want to, but it's not like I'm under the gun, like, oh my God, I have to get to my goal number, you know, or my retirement's totally going to suck or whatever. Uh, like we were able to kind of get to a comfortable place sooner through real estate um, and business ownership. And now like, you know, I, I don't have to stress, you know, it's like if I, if we don't save any money in a year, it's like, it's cool. You know, as long as what we have kind of grows at a reasonable clip, I think once we get to full retirement, we'll, you know, we'll be good. So that's why I say I'm kind of in a semi-retired now. Uh, and that's, that's what that means to me. Let's talk about this. You know, it's really great how you've went so far and you've done so many different things and you learned throughout the, your businesses and your practice of investing in real estate. And let's talk about the first part of it too. When you first, you know, started your first business uh, before 30, you started a post-production company, right? Um, yeah. With you and your other partners, your friends. How did you start that and how did you grow it? And then like, let's talk about how that applies to real estate in the same sense, right? But like, how did you start that company and like, how do you actually grow it from like one, two people to like 30 people? Uh, I, well, I always always say we did a brick by brick. <laughs> um, you know, there's a few in post-production, um, you know, specifically there, there's a few different ways you can start a business. You can be a very seasoned person with a lot of clients, you know, and start the business like older, you know, cause obviously it's taken you a long time to have those clients. And start it with like more of a built-in client base and sort of, you know, minimum amount of billing. Mm -hmm. Well, the other way is to start it when you're younger, which is kind of what we did. I mean, we weren't like super young, but I was 30. One of my other partners was 30. And then two of the other partners were 27. So that's mm -hmm. pretty young, actually, yeah. in post-production world. Yeah. And so we didn't have a lot of like the two young guys were, were like, what we sold. They were our talent or our artists. One was an editor and one was a visual effects artist. And um, they had some clients, you know, they were kind of like in the early stages of building like a client base, but they were young and, you know, they just hadn't had that much time in the game. So, but they had enough where we were like, you know, we could do this two ways. We could wait to do this and maybe do it down the road or maybe not. But this opportunity kind of arose because uh, we we're all at the same company together. We all wanted to do. We knew each other like and the partnership at that company we we're at was kind of like on the rocks and things were kind of like going a little weird with the partnership. And we we're like, you know, this is a, this is a chance to like get out and do this, you know, but I because I had always kind of wanted to do it, I was sort of preparing for a moment like this in the background in terms of like, I had like gotten myself to be working like essentially as a consultant for the companies I was working for. So I had a business and I knew I wanted, I needed it to be a couple years old in order for me to get some financing and get some equipment leases and things like that. So I had gotten that going. I was able to secure a little credit line uh, on my business. And this was, you know, back in 2000, like four and five, where like, it was really easy to borrow money. <laughs> like people were, you know, you could be, almost be a corpse and people would lend you money back in, <laughs> back in those days. Yeah. Um, it was the easy lending days of the mid 2000s. Uh, obviously, then, you know, we saw what happens when you 
do that kind of stuff. Um, but it was it was it wasn't super hard for me to get a credit line, and then because my business I had a corp and it was old enough, I could get some equipment leases and things like that, and um, I kind of was prepared to at least get something going. And so we started looking for a space. It was it was a little bit tough because we had no business history, you know, and it turned out oh like people don't like commercial like buildings don't really love leasing to new businesses, you know, because you're like, how do we even know you're going to last? You know, you have no history. Um, but we, we put an eight month security deposit down, which was hard to do, but I was able to do with that credit line. Actually, it was more than security deposit. It was like, it was, uh, no, I guess you could say it was an eight month security deposit. They wouldn't even let us burn it, burning any of it down, you know, every year we were there. But, um, but we gave him enough security to get into his space. Luckily we found a space that, had been a, po a small post-production company previously. So we didn't have to do much build out. Nice. Really, we just more like did decoration, which is kind of why when I was telling you the story, I was confused when I went to get the next space. Mm -hmm. Like I was looking at all these raw spaces and I was like, I don't know, it's, it's gonna be hard to run a place out of this place. It looks just like a warehouse. But um, yeah, and like, yeah you, you, you have to build it out, dude. Um, so we, uh, we managed to kind of, just get get in there and though at the end of the day with all the money we spent you know with my credit line and all the equipment leases we did and everybody piled in a certain amount of cash we didn't have much cash but i think we all put about 40 grand in uh and then me and my other one of the other partners the guy that was older we had houses so we we put in a little bit extra from our home equity um and i think probably all in it was about about 500 grand we had to put up to start a business and like there was no online business you know that really i mean there was amazon back then but you couldn't like you couldn't be like a coach you couldn't do like lap, laptop lifestyle back in 2005 like if you wanted a business you had to like go open like a place like a brick yeah. and mortar thing you know and particularly in our business like you couldn't you know you still can't have a, a virtual post-production company um, so yeah, we, we managed to like cobble together that money through various ways and, and started and it was like kind of took about a couple months before we like moved in and kind of officially opened the doors and we just, all the clients that those guys had, you know, we just hit them up and we're just like, we're starting our own thing. We're hoping you, you'll support us and, and come work with, you know, the guys here. And, uh, a, a lot of them did and, just it was you know just the four of us and a receptionist at the beginning because we needed someone to answer the phone and we worked a lot you know we worked till i mean god crazy hours um but we just we're like we need to make people happy we need to show them that we can do this we need to you know give them great work good value whatever for now and just get the you know word of mouth i mean because post-production and production a lot of it you know it really is word of mouth and so Isn't that's why I said it was brick by brick. It was just like get a new client, do an awesome job, ask them, you know, for you know, kind of in a very slight, easygoing way about referrals, like you know, whatever, you know. Um, and then I did an active, you know, sales effort. Also, calling you would actually call people back then, believe it or not. Like I was anyone that I had ever worked with, anyone that even knew of our old place or whatever, I would call, you know. And uh, a lot of rejection, of course, but you know you get through and book some jobs those two times and that parlays, you know, and then before you know it, you know, it's like, I, uh, I think in our biggest year uh, where we produced that HBO show and a few other things, we actually were up to about 60 employees 
for, for that year, you know, cause we had kind of a, a, a temporary staff for that show, but the show lasted for a year and a half. Nice. Um, but you know, without that temp staff, we were probably at about 35 or so people. Isn't it nice how, when, when you think about it too, the business and what you just described throughout is so similar to real estate. Like you can apply all your principles directly to real estate. Everything you just did and mentioned is the same thing applies to real estate and real estate investing specifically, uh, mm-hmm. how that works. Right. And like, you know, yeah. you're creative, you've got loans, you figured it out, you couldn't get a prop a property because uh, leasing because you're newer, a new business. So you got uh, you th- you were creative enough to think about a higher security deposit um, to hold it down, and people will let you do that. And becoming creative actually works in real estate as well because there's not just no. It's like okay, if this no right now, how do I make it work? What can I do to make it work? Why is it no? Who can mm-hmm. I talk to? Because no is not usually you. It's someone else saying no. They can't do it. How can how can I make it happen? Right. Mm-hmm. By having that creative ability and the motivation to get through things makes you so much stronger, so much easier. And as you go along, you start progressing and learning throughout, like in commercial space, when you mentioned, yeah, raw mater- raw places suck because you have to build everything out. I'm like, really, why build out a space that's not yours and spend all this money to improve someone else's space that they own? Such That's so great for our owner because owners love to not do anything and get paid, get get that all built in. Imagine yeah. spending 500K building out someone's property that you're only leasing for one, three, five, ten years, you know? Yeah, that, make... that definitely did not make sense to me. And yeah, I'm glad and we did work, it, but it... <laughs> it doesn't work on the residential side, but on a commercial side, it makes total sense for some reason, right? Like, why can't yeah. they build it out as owners? Yeah, I think, you know, it's like, depends what I guess kind of in a way what it is, you know, like, because every business has different needs, you know, so mm-hmm. not one build out is going to work for any one business. But, you know, in, in Los Angeles, there's a lot of production and post-production and there's a lot of businesses that would utilize that kind of space. So more than likely, and I exactly what happened, the person that bought that building from us rented it out. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they were an investor. They rented out as is. I mean, they made some minor modifications, but it was like, so that was a huge value add for both the, per, the, the company coming in because yep. they didn't have to build something out. And then the, the owner, you know, got more value probably in the form of rent from them because, you know, they provided a built-in space. But, um, exactly. but and, and, and that really translated for us you know, on the sale, you know, in terms of the value because it was a flexible space. Now, if we built it out, I don't know, to be like, I don't know, a rocket assembly facility, then probably, <laughs> you know... Uh, maybe maybe Elon Musk would have came over and rented it, but um, but you know, being it was a very you know office friendly, flexible kind of space, uh, it was a good play for us, you know. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so you mentioned too earlier. You mentioned too, like you know, you're busy. You're running businesses just like anybody who has a job. They work so hard. You work so long, and then suddenly, you know, some people realize when they have a kid everything changes in life because now your number one priority is your family, your, your kids. And if you, if you want to be, be there for them and watch everything they do and watch them grow up and like monitor them 24 seven, like you say, and really be there to raise them because those moments are so precious. And, you know, once you lose it, it's gone. You can never go back and get it back. You work. And if you, if you have a job, for example, what you do tomorrow doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It doesn't matter. It's not your business. Even as a owner, you know, you're still growing a company, you're doing it financially and you're trying to build something, but at the same time, what's the cost value to losing it to family time? 
Right. Yeah. So for you, you made a you made a change, and you know it's amazing to see that because most not all people realize that you know, and some people do realize it. They don't want it. And that's okay. It just matter of like what do you want in your life. Like for me, I value family time. I try to spend more time. Try to build more passive income. Try to spend more time with the family because, you know, what's the purpose of being here in life? Like, do I want to work all day and never be home, or do I want to、yeah. have a balance, or do I want to spend more time with the family? It's a, yeah, it's a choice. Exactly. They、uh, well, the old saying goes when.、Uh, <laughs> When people on their deathbed are surveyed, not many of them say, "I wish I spent more time at work."、Uh, <laughs> yeah, usually say,、exactly. "I wish I spent more time with my family." But,、um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, not, it's、uh, to- totally agreed, and that was that was our decision. Now, it's not particularly easy always to do. Like I, I say to people, because I kind of coach people, and you know, I, I say things that aren't always that like、um, welcome, I guess, too, and that. If you want to be able to make that choice and spend more time with family while still having money, you might not want to have kids until you're a little bit older, you know. Because if you want to spend time with your kids, or you think you're gonna want to spend time with them, but you know, they suck up a ton of time, and that's time you could be at your career or your business or your job, getting yourself in a better position, both.、Um, Financially,、uh, or in, in from an income perspective, or like getting yourself better positioned at a bigger organization or whatever. So, if you have kids really early and you want to spend time with them, well, that time is going to come from somewhere, and it's going to come from your work. And you're going to be the guy at the office that's like, "Yeah, I just I can't stay late. You know, I got to get home to the kids or whatever." And it's like five o'clock, but you're like twenty nine, and they're like, "Yeah, well." Okay, great, good for you. But your upward mobility is going to be a little hampered by that. So, you know, and and I only have one kid. That works for me. Like to be <laughs> having too many kids, I think could just you know just multiply that problem a little bit. <laughs> but you know, I'm like the worst person to talk to. Like I'm、mm. a kid friend, I guess, in that sense. But at, but at, on, but on the flip side,、fun. I'm the one who actually changed my life in order to spend time with my kids. So I guess I'm not that bad of a person. But、um, But I'm very practical, you know. So、um, I don't because a lot of people ask, "Go,、well, how are you able to do it?" I'm like, "Well, you know, I worked really hard. I didn't have a kid till forty. Like, I was extremely focused. I was financially prudent. I like took every opportunity I could to invest. I actually understand investing, and I know how much return I need on my investments in order to reach my financial goals. Like, I do my homework, you know. And it it's it's a lot of work, actually. It's no, it's no small thing, but. There are some people out there who are willing to do that, and you know they'll reap the reward. And there are other people who will just like wing it, and you know most likely, you know they're not going to get as 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 far as fast. And hopefully they get they get to their destination anyway. But so let's talk about know, that.、We'll、let's、see. help <clears throat> let's help our audience with that too. When you first started investing in real estate, you bought your first house. You you know you had your business going, and then later you started to do to do your first investment, and you know. At the time when on your first property you owned, you lived in Los Angeles, right? And then you、yeah. bought your first property outside of the area, or did you buy it locally?、Uh, my first rental, my first, yeah, first like investment. First yeah, yeah, no, I bought it outside the area. Like、uh, we were talking about earlier, it's not. I didn't have a lot of down payment for this first investment.、Mm-hmm. So in Los Angeles, you know, things are more expensive.、Uh, mm-hmm. e- even then, like my first house was about four hundred sixty grand, which is a lot for you know to. To buy is your first house, you know, twenty eight.、Yeah. So then going to try to buy a rental, you know, like that's really expensive. Was was not really doable. Plus, I was also concerned about like the the kind of owner tenant or、um, landlord tenant laws in California. They're pretty tenant friendly, and basically, you know, if you get unlucky, 
and you get like one of those professional squatter people that rent your place and then don't pay you rent for six months and stay as long as they can until they have to leave, uh, which yeah. happened to a friend of mine. And I had had that story in my mind. I was like, I don't, I don't want it that risk. So I ended up going to Austin, Texas. I started okay. reading, researching, you know, but there's a lot out there to read. Even back then, I actually was still reading magazines back then. Um, there's even more to read now. So it's hard to like, you know, sift through it all. But uh, it seemed like Austin was like a growing market. People from Los Angeles, like some people had been moving there because there was a little bit of an advertising uh, kind of community there. And we did a lot of post-production for advertising. So I was like a little familiar with it. And the prices were pretty good. And the, the rent to price was pretty good. And I was like, well, I got to go somewhere. So I, I look, found a realtor down there that kind of was, um, you know, investor focused. And I uh, called him up and he's like, yeah, come down. I got people from California that invest in me all the time. So I flew down there, went and looked around and uh, bought a duplex, you know, and it was kind of scary because I'm like, I didn't even see the place I bought when I was there. We looked at a few places, but like those didn't work out. But I'm like, I can't just keep flying back there you yeah. know, to, go, to go look at a house, you know. So he's like, you don't need to come. It's going to, you know, it's like, you're not going to live at the place. Just, you, you know, it's already rented. It had tenants. So I'll show you some pictures. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'll do that. That was kind of a unique thing for me. But now that would be normal. I ended up buying lots of places I never saw. But, um, but so bought it and, that, what kind of numbers did you see when you first looked at your first house? Can you give me an example of the, of the numbers you were looking at? Yeah, let's see. I think back top. I believe I bought that duplex. It was in Round Rock, Texas, so a suburb of Austin, and it was for. I think I bought it, paid one sixty nine for it. Okay. And it was getting about seventeen hundred a month rent, about eight fifty a side. Okay, that's pretty nice. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I didn't know anything about like the you know the one percent rule. I mean. I, I was just like your average person trying to figure it out. Now I know a lot more about these things, but, um, but yeah, it happened to kind of meet that the, the famous 1% rule, uh, which was good. Uh, there wasn't really turnkey back then. So, but this guy was sort of turnkey. He was like, okay, you bought it. Great. Um, and he did like a nice spreadsheet for me and, you know, w walked me through the numbers and all that. And he was totally cool and legit. And like, you know, I bought another house with him and, you know, I maintained a relationship with him. He was like a solid dude. Okay, so um, for example, you bought it, and you you, you luckily uh, got a one percent property, um, and you end up following that rule. So when you have that property too, what did the mortgage look like on that one? What was the down payment in the mortgage? Well, I I did um, twenty. Uh, 20% down, I believe. So it was like a normal thing. It was like, you know, you wish you could get into places less down and you can if you're more creative or you can find the right scenario and various things. But I was working all the time. So it's mm -hmm. like, I just didn't have a lot of time to like really be finding these very niche deals and, you know, like getting partner, you know, doing all these things that you kind of hear about in the online courses and stuff. So I just basically, I put 20% down and, um, and I did it. And like, it was cash flowing was fine. Now what ended up happening, I ended up selling, I bought another place in Texas after that, uh, which I bought actually in 2010. So I was able to get into that at a lower down payment because it was kind of that crazy time of 2010. And that realtor found me sort of a special deal and, and it, you know, solved some problems for, I guess the person that was selling it. And uh, I got in for like, we got in for like 5% on that, but 
Um, <clears throat> but it was what ended up happening that I didn't really know about Texas and I didn't really kind of understand is while both of these things had pretty good pro general profile in terms of the 1% thing and whatever, um, taxes, property taxes in Texas are high. They're 2.4%. Uh, and they reassess the value of your house every year there. So what ended up happening was, is Austin took off as a, as a, as a town and which was great for me in that the, property value went up but my taxes were going up really fast you know like on the properties um faster almost in a way you know than i could kind of keep up with the rents and then because we went through 2000 you know 9 10 11 i had a little softening around rent on the duplex and whatever i mean we luckily the i guess the property values came down in that time but then they really shot up so um what i ended up doing was selling those properties in Texas and doing a 1031 exchange and went into smaller markets where I wasn't going to have that problem with the taxes and the reassessments and all that, you know, and I ended up buying, oh, eventually, inevitably, three houses in Kansas City and three houses in Memphis. Um, and those I kind of worked with like turnkey providers uh, for. So, you know, I would say this story is like, you know, from a real estate professional's point of view, in a, in a way, I certainly, I think, would look like a total novice uh, because doing turnkey and all that sort of stuff, it's not the way to like squeeze the most value out of these kinds of properties. Uh, but for me, as just an average person who was working like, you know, 70 hours a week as it was, um, this was the way I could invest in real estate versus investing in the stock market. Um, I think I did well because of appreciation, largely cash flow on these things was hit or miss. Like on paper, it was fine and period, you know, it would come through in general. Okay. But then one, you know, one, ex one big breakdown, you know, expense away would just like unwind all my cash flow. Like, uh, HVAC condenser would go out. Okay, there goes all my cash flow. Or I had a water main break from the street to the house. That cost three grand. There you go. There goes my cash flow. So luckily, I did. I did well in the end uh, through appreciation. But I would say, like, if I hadn't had that, it could have been suspect. I did far better with my real estate with the commercial properties where I really added value. You know, like I found like a good deal, a place that I could convert and create a tremendous amount of value. I could add square footage. I could do something to greatly improve the property and its per square footage value. Whereas the single family rentals, um, you know, I was a little bit probably more at the mercy of just, you know, general reality. So again, I talked to people about my experiences, like what, what I think kind of where I, what I knew worked and what I, where I feel like, you know, I don't like to say I got lucky because I, you know, I did the work to be there and take advantage of the appreciation. You know, we've, we've all been benef beneficiaries of a bull market in real estate and stocks, you know, and it seems like every asset class. Um, so, but if, you know, if appreciation hadn't been there, you know, it might, it might not have been as favorable an outcome, but I was able to 1031. And then, when I moved to Florida, I was like, you know, uh, now I'm in an area where I actually can buy a place that I can manage myself, number one, you know, and I can be there to do more things for. And so I 
started selling the properties in the Midwest and I 1031 into 1031 into a few down here. But the prices here are about double what the prices were there, but the rents were double too. <clears throat> um, and I also, when I moved here, like I decided instead of buying in like sort of B-ish, you know, markets where I decided to buy really what would, what a, what a, a rental profile would be considered, would consider an A market. Um, so I paid a little bit more for the house, you know, relative to the rent, but I get got better tenants, less issues, less calls, less headaches, longer stays, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, what I guess my lesson to any person who's listening is <clears throat> ultimately if you can buy in your area at the right numbers, manage it yourself, um, that's going to be superior from a return point of view, at least for single families, I think, and even duplexes. And I would lean towards going to a higher quality neighborhood, even though maybe your rent price ratio is not as favorable, because I think you get a better tenant, they stay longer, and you have just less headaches, less issues, better, they take care of your place a little bit better, which means there are less issues and less maintenance and those kinds of things. And I think both from a cash flow point of view, and now, I mean, honestly, from appreciation, again, I just happened to move to like the place apparently everybody wants to move to after COVID, which is Florida. Uh, so just properties have just, just skyrocketed here in the last even a year, but I got here in 2018, so I just got lucky. So I bought three houses here, including my own, and just so happened that you know Florida was a great, great place. You know, I guess it depends on your perspective, but at least you know from the world's, uh, the rest of the country's point of view, it's like if you want freedom related to COVID, uh, Florida is the place to be. And then if you're looking to retire anyway, and COVID pushed it along because you're a baby boomer and you're selling your house in California or in New York or in New Jersey, and you're coming with all cash <laughs> and you were I in Florida anyway, but now your whole retirement timeline got pushed forward. It just, you know, just had a great um, effect on real estate prices here. So, so there yeah. you go. So what I say is this too, like, you know, real estate for investing wise over time, there's definitely ways to grow equity in a lot of places, definitely as the market hits and changes throughout time in history, you look at the life cycles, real estate's going up because everyone needs a place to live. And over time, the population is getting bigger and bigger. Anyways, you just have to be when you're at the right time in the right market and you're getting there before others and it's booming up, you're going to make a lot of equity on it. Even San Francisco can make a lot of equity. Even today, there's still a lot of room for equity. I just sold a house, 900,000 over asking price in the market price, wow. 900,000 over market price. Right. Wow. Crazy. And there's like multiple offers in that sense. So regardless of location, the markets are strong. People are buying. People want to live. And people want to live in different locations. So doing the research, yeah. finding the areas you want to be at, invest at, be able to fly to and do it. And if you're just doing it off the off the um, you know, without without flying there, you really gotta look at the numbers. And you know, even as you mentioned over time. You know, managing these properties actively or passively and figuring out what works and, you know, learning through each property. They're different. Like I like multifamily space more than single family space. For me, it's mm -hmm. easier to manage. It's easier to do with way more units than one unit at a time. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, that appreciation plays into effect. Finding good areas, finding good rents and making the numbers work for you helps a lot. But even for yourself, as you mentioned, 
throughout all the challenges, equity helped you win win in real estate, and the oh, cash yeah. flow that came through it, you know, was good and bad. But in general, it was good and helped you guys to get get into early retirement. One thing yes. you mentioned is you moved to a lower cost state, which helps you as well because now you have a better cash flow because your budget is better uh, spent in the Florida for yourself and your family. So that's nice because yeah. now you gave yourself more time back for your family to enjoy your lifestyle and to retire earlier, semi-retire and have more fun with family. That's not yeah. easy for most people because most people, you know, it's hard to take that risk. Like even for myself, it's hard for me to move and, you know, change because all of my family's here, my relatives all here. We're deeply rooted here and businesses yeah. here. So it's hard, yeah. but also the idea of it, it's fun because I would love to move to maybe SoCal or to another state where I can relax regardless of price point, just different lifestyles, mm-hmm. you know, it can mm-hmm. be a change, but you know, leaving that. But for you guys, you know, you talked about the cash flow. These properties, even though you're, you know, buying, selling, tendering, and exchanging, you found three local properties which you can self-manage. I think self-management is pretty good and bad. It's good as a sense of you save money, you make more, you can make more from it. The bad part about it is it takes time away from you and you can yeah. spend your time relaxing, doing something else. And think of that expense as just a number for you. Like as on your PL balance, I got to pay the property manager. I got to pay all these workers, but I don't have to do it no more. It's just a pure investment. And all it comes back down to is how much money percentage am I making for that one property and which ones are doing better at what lo- which locations. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same I, time, I could, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. I was going to say like what lately, you know, what I've done decided to do was, you know, we bought a couple of the rentals here. I ended up selling one of them because the market was so good and it, it was, uh, it was in flood zone, which was costing me a little extra insurance. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm going to sell it. And I sold the other properties in the Midwest and cause I kind of decided I'll do a little bit of work, but I don't want to do too much management, you know? And I think to your point about the multifamily, I mean, I should say that probably a lot of people who've done single family to a large degree will all agree that it's, it's not super scalable without a lot of work, you know, like there's real estate like this is not entirely passive. I mean, I look at it as a business, you know, it's a, it's a side business. It's not a business that takes up your day full time, but there's work to be done. And if there's income, there's expense, you got to do the numbers, you got to do the math, you got to deal with, you know, your customers, your tenants, you got to fix issues and all that sort of stuff. So it's not passive. Um, Turnkey is more passive. It's probably this, the pa- most passive version of individual ownership. Um, but I ended up taking the money from the property I sold here and the other few that I recent were remaining to be sold in Memphis um, and decided to try some commercial real estate syndications. Because uh, I was like, I just don't want to do the work and I want more cash flow <clears throat> and more steady cash flow from my money because of our new living situation. So, you know, and I find that commercial, having had some experience with anyway, um, probably produces a little bit more steady cash flow because of the nature of the fact that a lot of the leases are like, you know, either triple net or modified gross. And the tenant does, you know, takes care of a lot of their own issues. And obviously it depends on the kind of property it is. So, I took some of that money. I kept it in real estate, but I diversified it into different kinds of commercial through real estate syndications. And mm-hmm. so far, so good. I mean, it's producing a much higher percentage of cash flow. Now, granted, if there's 
mega appreciation, I like I probably wouldn't I wouldn't experience the same value in a pre, the appreciation sense that maybe I did on all these single families. Mm -hmm. But I'll still get I think some appreciation, and who knows it could it could be significant uh, depending. But my you know I'm not expecting my IRR to be as as big say. But you know the the right now I'm, I found some deals keep a place that's does deals that are far more cash flow oriented and you know they're so far producing like 10 to 12 percent with a hopeful irr of like maybe 15 to 18 mm -hmm. so we'll Not see bad. yeah i mean you know i mean for to do no work now could that all go to hell sure i mean my money's in someone else's hands and that makes me nervous frankly but you know you can only do so much on your own you know yeah, and I agree with you in a sense too, because for myself, I'm actually a syndicator, right? So I mm -hmm. do syndications too, but I look at the multifamily space. And one of the reasons too, being, you know, talking about investing in real estate is that, okay, being an active investor, you got to do all these active things. You make you can make more money, but you're actively involved in it, whether it takes one hour a month or a couple hours, it just depends on the property and the location and the price point. The next mm -hmm. part of it, as you know, as you get older and you start having family, like I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old kid now. I want more passive time now. I want more passive yeah. investments because I want my time back for my family and I don't want to change anything. I to fix anything. Even recently, I still fix some stuff, but I'm like, I shouldn't do that no more. I need to start just paying people to do the work because my time is more valuable spending with family. Mm -hmm. uh, at a certain point, as you start growing, as you start getting older and you start uh, having more investments, you can say that. Yeah. In the beginning, you want to hustle, do everything yourself to learn it, to save money, to grow it faster, right? And I get that mm -hmm. too. But, you know, in the later years, I started going into more syndications, more investing, more multi-units, because I realized this too. In multi-units, you can add value to properties quickly. You can adjust numbers. And when you adjust these numbers, you're actually creating value immediately because I raise rent $100 a unit and I have 200 units. How much did I just raise X value? A lot. Oh, yeah. And in the commercial space, one of my concerns about commercial space, I like it, but I don't invest in it right now because one is vacancy factor. Like, yes, you can have a triple net lease and you can have a tenant for years, but when it becomes vacant, it stays vacant for a while. It's hard yeah. to get a replacement immediately. You can't get it next day. Some people go vacant for years and I just don't want to deal with that negative cash flow for years, even if I make good cash flow in the beginning, a holding period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in commercial space, I think there's some general abilities to say, hey, even if it's raw land, it should be designed usefully for any product in at least just a, a minimal concept so someone can just take over easily to use it. And that would be highly uh, easier to rent it out first, and then, then they can build it out the way they want. But mm -hmm. some I see are super raw. I'm like, I don't want to deal with that. It's not worth it. And they sit for years vacant. I'm like, what's your vacancy factor on that? Like 40, 50% after X years? I'm like, ugh, I don't want to. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, if you're talking about like a Walgreens or something, or yeah, yeah, like built to suit, you know what I mean? Yep. Uh, for sure. Like, I would definitely never do that. Yeah. Um, Small office spaces, commercials, easy ones that are yeah. rentable. Those are fast. It can yeah. be better. But, but you think about it, dude, COVID actually helped accelerate the fact that. A lot of offices became vacant. A lot of commercial spaces became vacant because you don't need it. You can actually live. And I started thinking about that in the future of real estate. How likely are you to actually need office spaces? How are you building a global investment, global team, global company if you're lo located at one location? And how much are you spending for that space? Yeah. So, like, you know, look at Amazon. Are they, do they have offices around the world everywhere? Not really. They have a lot of warehouses because that's the production, right? But office space, they have certain locations that they need it. But otherwise, you don't really need it that every single spot in the whole, everywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. it's costly, right? Yeah. And you look at Airbnb, you look at everyone else. They're not running it that way. They're running it more as a global company.
Mm-hmm. I started, yeah, one of the some uh, of the places, like one of the places, is like industrial flex space, right? Mm-hmm. So like easy, you know. There's a category of of tenant there, and it's very flexible. You know what I mean? Um, it's not like built built to suit or whatever, or mega big tall office space or whatever. They're kind of, I tried a few different unique things, but we'll see, you know, but I, my next thing was looking at more larger, um, you know, multifamily, like you're talking about through some syndicators. So how many units do you guys do? Like in, so right now we have, um, we, we bought 558 units in Texas in the last two okay. years. Wow. And then I'm, I'm at 3,600 units right now. And we're on track to probably buy another thousand units this year. Oh my God. Wow. That's so crazy, we're working man. on that and it's fun because you already know, okay, I buy the multi-unit. I'm going to do cost segregation. I'm going to add value. I'm going to increase the rents. I'm going to make build a better community for people to live in, have more fun, enjoy it. Like new parks, new parking lots, new barbecues, new whatever, clubhouses. Mm-hmm. It gets better. You're making the community better. At, at the same time, you're adding value for your investor group as well. And over time, you're you know having fun building these out and creating new spaces for people to enjoy. Yes, the rents will increase with along with that, but hopefully the community gets better. High occupancy rates, 95% occupancies, some of them 98%, then that's really good because you, you created a wait list, but you have the choice to create that value. In office spaces, you can do that same, similar concepts in commercial, but it's harder. And I don't like, it has really good cash flow and has triple net leases you have longer term, but here I like to immediately add the value in. And I right. know yeah. in three years I can refinance, take out 80% or more, and then, you know, go to the next one, right? Mm-hmm. How big is your team? To do uh, small teams, actually, because you don't need as many teams. Because, for example, in the passive investing for the syndication-wise, even though we're the general partners, you have your accounting crew, your CPAs, everything to manage this side. You have cost segregation this side. You have property management for the local spaces. For example, you can hire really good property managers at a certain fee uh, to compensate it to manage the properties, right? And then you mm-hmm. have construction and you you know you're bidding on construction because, hey, I'm not remodeling one unit. I'm going to remodel 250 units, but it's going to take X years. Here's the co- average cost for a studio, one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom, for example. And mm-hmm. you know it's going to take time period. But running all the financial analysis, you understand, okay, if I take this long, the rates are this cheap. I can do this. The rents go here. You know, you're not, you know your numbers off the bat. And in the time period, you're looking at the market next three years will the market go up will housing demand go up how's the economy in houston seabrook over um you know austin you can kind of gauge it and you're Mm -hmm. forecasting right you're not predicting it you're forecasting it you're taking assumptions and then you're looking at the investment it makes sense go for it great deal during covid great off-market deals because people need to sell small mom pops need to sell you can find some good deals it's just up to you to look for them yeah how do you find the deals so you find the deals, you got to start talking, right? You got to talk to everyone out there, mm-hmm. like all the realtors, wholesalers, everyone out there who has properties um, and see what makes sense. You got to, you know, underwrite all the de- deals that you think would work for your investor group. So those are some of the things you see when you're investing in real estate. And I think for, you know, for our audience and for people out there, really, like you mentioned, you got to take a step forward. If you want to create passive income, you want to invest in real estate. I prefer real estate over stocks as well. Um, I think it's a really great form of investing. And I think you can create a lot of generational wealth to real estate. Mm-hmm. And especially if you teach your kids young and how to invest and start playing Monopoly with them, the game and teaching mm-hmm. them the strategies and what you can really do. I think like you look at Monopoly, 
you know, buying four houses, trading it to a multi-unit to a hotel, creating mm-hmm. that cash flow, doing it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a great way to sustain and to grow. And everyone will learn from mistakes, hopefully a lot of small mistakes as you learn, because there's no perfect house. Even a turnkey house will still have some problems that you don't, underlying problems that you might not be aware of. But of I think over time you get experience. So you already know, like when you start knowing the numbers, like, okay, I have a brand new house. I'm tearing it down from studs up. I know the estimate how much it will cost in my local area, how much time it will take, who to use, why use them and how, how long they should take versus, you know, okay, with COVID, how long does permitting take? How long does architect take? How long does submissions take? You learn these over time. You don't learn it through the first day. But I say, like you mentioned, when you're working 78 hours a week in a job, you got to start somewhere. And I think turnkey is a good way to start because you're just getting your feet wet, getting into it. And later as you progress, you start adding value. And later when you go further, you go to studs up. Like I built a brand new house from the studs up, you know, not a full, mm-hmm. re- not a full development from the ground up, but from studs up, it was a lot of work, right? And you can, yeah. see that. you can see that and you know in detail where everything is, you know, in detail how much, t- how long it takes to do it. You know, all the issues that come up when you open the walls up, you don't know what's behind that wall. Even architects mm-hmm. don't know what's behind the wall. They have to guess too, based right. on experience. So it becomes a lot of fun that way, but yeah. Over time, how do you know, like, you know, for someone that's not doing it for a living, like I've, I've be- I did those two commercial properties and then I've done three other like significant full renovations. I think I've done almost six full renovations now. Nice. And it's, it's very time consuming, you know what I mean? And like, and managing contractors is basically like pushing a boulder up a hill for like, you know, a whole year straight. (laughs) I I mean, maybe I'm just like the most unlucky person when it comes to contractors, but you know, it's just tough. So it, it's just not something that people that have a job, I think, can really do without kind of a lot of risk of it going awry. Because the longer it takes, the more money it costs you and all that. So like, do you re- would you actually recommend to someone that kind of has a full time job and not a lot of free time to bite that much off? Or do you do you recommend because I see you coach and all that sort of stuff, too? Do you recommend really people get into real estate through syndications and those sorts of things? So it really depends. Like I have clients in all bases. Like I actually, I remodeled like seven houses last year for my clients along with building my own houses. But I think for me, I talked to my clients about it. A lot of them are doctors, dentists, lawyers, and normal tech clients, and they don't have the time and I understand it. So for my instance, in the real estate sales perspective, I actually help them. I have all my own crews of everyone. So Mm -hmm. they go in, they help remodel, repaint, repurpose everything they can do, save money and flip the houses. Or even if they lived in it, I help them remodel it and get it to the market value and help them achieve like high top dollar for their houses. Even though like, wow, I didn't, you're hitting the highest price per square foot in the area because of this light cosmetic remodel. So I'm like, things you don't know because you haven't done it yet can save you a lot of time and money and knowing who to use and why. But for a normal investor, you know, you got to take it uh, one step at a time and really dive in and, and learn. The hardest part is this. Contractors are like gold right now. They're all so yeah. busy. They're all backed up. They don't have enough materials to do everything. And their cost is rising. Their, our labor's cost is rising. Materials rising. Like, for example, you know, the cost of electrical roll before used to be like $35, $46 at Home Depot. And then during COVID, hit up to $200 per roll. <laughs> that, right? And wow. like, you like per roll and some normal full scale houses need like 80 rolls or more 80 rolls. Wow. Right? So like if you're doing pre COVID, that's cheap. If you're doing post COVID, ah, oh, that hurts. Average is about 156 right now. 
So wow. you know, that gets expensive in the area. So wow, yeah, man. as a as a first time investor, they don't know that. They don't know the cost of materials. They don't know the time associated. They're like, oh, the cost is so expensive now because as you progress in life, things get more expensive, period. Right. So you have to realize that, okay, I mean, how much time does it take? Normal remodels, you know, before, let's say back in 2008, bathroom, 7,000 on average, seven days, 7,000, not bad, right? And that's without materials and things like that. But nowadays it can be 20,000, 25,000 plus per bathroom. Like that's, you know, that's insane, right? Wow. How? It only takes seven days. You can only fit one or two people in there, you know, but things add up fast. Yeah. So, you know, as a first-time investor, you really should work with a really good, either you learn it and you do it yourself, you learn how to do it yourself, or you work with a group of investors who have already done it, get coaches and mentors to help you. Or like you did, work with a really good real estate agent who's actually an investor themselves, who know the numbers, who can read the numbers and show you, and also introduce you to their vendor network. Because not all contractors are the same price, same quality, same terms, same overcharges and everything, and just experience. Because you can tell um, a new contractor versus a really old, experienced contractor, right? There's you know famous like Irish builders, famous Korean uh, builders, whatever. There's a lot of different groups who can really do really well. But, you know, you got to look at who's who and what they can do. And mm-hmm. for me, as an experienced investor, I can ask them simple questions regarding construction and I can see how detailed they are and if they can explain it to me and know the details because I've done all the physical work, actually remodel houses myself. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work, but knowing how to do it and makes it so much easier because once you know how to do it, you can say, hey, well, I know you're cheating me. You're skipping all these steps. You didn't tell me. You're cutting corners. You're saving costs on yourself and you're charging me on top of it. Yeah. Then you know, but then knowing that part of it will help you become a better investor because you know your numbers better and you can forecast it better. So you know what can is possible. Sure. Yeah. But I think yeah. for people too, like nowadays, when people don't have time, I tell them, to be honest, syndication is a better route. And here's why. Look for a really good operator that you can know and trust. Talk to them. Ask them everything, every single thing about it. If they can't answer it, they don't want to help you might not be the right fit anyways, but if you find a really good operator, you'll see how good they can perform and how much money they can make you. Like, Luckily for me, I have a lot of trusted clients who invest with me in my syndications because they already know my history in multi-units in the San Francisco market, but now mm-hmm. I'm doing it for them out of market, out of area, out of state, and they're seeing the results and like, well, okay, this is better. Better numbers, less risk, less liability, um, less legals in terms of California and the policies, you know? Going right, to- yeah. Texas is easier, better, yep. better landlord friendly states. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you see the results, like, Hey, I can make, I could make more money possibly. And I don't, I don't have to do any of the work and you're taking care of it as an operator. You're managing all this and I get paid, you know, on a quarterly basis or a monthly basis. Yeah. Okay, I'll I start know. Doing it it yeah. sounds good to me. So I'm dipping my toe in that water. I might do some residential next. We'll see. But, yeah. uh, Good. I think everyone need, out there just needs to uh, really look at like all these podcasts, look at um, blog posts, bigger pockets, and everywhere, and like start listening, learning, going to all the events, meeting other investors, learning from people's experiences, making your own, and taking action. Most people don't take action. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, it's hard. It's hard to get educated. There's a lot of information out there. You're there's a lot busy. of gurus. You got to watch yeah, out for there's, you know? guru, there's gurus. There's tons of information. You don't know who likes legit or not legit. And then you're busy. You got your job. And then if you have kids already and have a family, you got them. And it's just time goes by, you know. And 
A lot of people, what I do now with my website um, is kind of, well, I do two things. Either I work as like as a fractional CFO for small businesses. So I have a handful of clients, you know, that keep me on retainer and I I work as their CFO part-time. And then I will work with individuals kind of as a coach, um, largely how to just get your financial house in order and, and, and run the business of you, as I like to say. Um, but a lot of my, you know, individuals that get in touch with they, you know, they're in their forties, they just haven't paid any attention. You know, they put their head in the sand, like r- managing money and, and, and investing is just not their thing. And now they're kind of nervous, you know, they're getting nervous that shoot, did I, have I done enough planning? Have I prepared enough? You know, like, I'm not going to want to work forever. You start getting tired when you're in your forties and you're like, I don't think I can work forever. I used to think I was going to work forever. Now I'm like, yeah. I don't know if I want to work forever. Um, and then they're like, shoot, do I have enough money? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I work with, you know, people in that uh, age range, but also younger people, the younger people are more, you know, where I can really, you know, get them into good habits uh, earlier. And I kind of, you know, I kind of teach my, what I consider my the secret to success, I guess, is like a three pillar approach, which is entrepreneurialism, financial prudency, which is the personal finance piece, and then investing, you know, whether that be real estate or stocks or whatever, you need to understand that uh, you're, you're not going to save enough money for retirement generally through your work, you're going to largely get get where you need to be by work and saving and investing that savings, but you need to understand the investing and, and know how much return you're getting and know if that amount of return is going to produce enough growth for you to actually reach the promised land, you know? Um, so I kind of teach under these three, you know, I guess, pillar topics. And, and I have a, like, you know, a free course in each category of my website. And then also like, you know, a more in-depth paid course in each of these categories. And it's, uh, and then a bunch of just free information. So I'm, I'm naturally wrapping it up here. Um, but uh, yeah, people can find me if they're interested on playlatter.com and you can read a lot more about these topics um, that we're talking about. But I would say for real estate, people certainly want to get in touch with you. So <laughs> Cool. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm glad that you got the chance to share <clears throat> your story. And also, like, it is good that all of us, all the coaches out there, all the educators out there who have done it, who have experienced doing it, it's great that we're sharing, you know, free resources, free value because people need the free part of it to get started. And really, I tell everyone, like, you got to have coaches, you got to have mentors, you got to have people who have done it multiple times over to share that experience because that cost alone of, of time savings and risk savings and yeah. learning from someone who has done it is worth a tremendous amount of gold. Even if you're doing 50-50 splits or paying for your coaching to get started, it really um, helps you accelerate the growth and you won't get there easily by alone. You'll have to do so much research and trust me, I've done a, a lot of it alone. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you go back, especially at your young, younger ages, if you can get free mentors too, there's some people out there who will help you. Mm-hmm. You can learn mm-hmm. a lot more faster. And as you go along, you can get easy to scale faster. And that's how like one of the ways I built my syndication is like, I work with other partners who are coaches at themselves and syndicators and you partner and you can scale it way better, faster. Like who, new in the last two years i can hit 558 units and go to another thousand soon right it's not easy that's, alone no, none of us can do it mind-boggling alone. that's mind-boggling to me yeah exactly yeah. alone i can go one two three four five that's you know mm-hmm. but that's not the fun scaling it and you know as you learn to leverage more you, you get better terms and it's way better that way 
Right. But cool. Right. Thank you so much. Oh, and man. everyone out there, be sure to check out Joe at playlouder.com. And for everyone else, um, I hope you guys enjoyed the Truth About Real Estate podcast. And we'll see you guys in the next one. Have a great day. Thanks a lot, Matthew. Thanks, guys. Bye.